Well, uh, my name is Jose, if we haven't met yet, and I'm thrilled. We're getting towards the end of our series in the book of Acts, and this is a fun one because we've gone from looking at one verse or two or three, now we're going to look at a full three chapters that tell one big story. So Acts 21 is where we'll be. If uh, you haven't read it, we'll start with a little encounter that will set it up. I just started running a bit, and I didn't know much about it, but I was going to speak at a music festival in Napa Valley. Any of you been to Napa Valley, one country, beautiful part of the world, all these rolling hills. So I'm speaking at it. And with that, they hooked us up, uh, and me and a few other people were staying at this huge house in a vineyard, tucked away in these rolling hills. It was epic. I didn't even want to go to the event. I just wanted to chill. And so I, I got up early, speaking at night, I got up early and went for a morning run. And running up and down the hills, which I was not used to doing, uh, was hard. Going down a hill, and I felt a pop in my left foot and slowed my pace a little bit, then hobbled, then dragged. And very quickly realized, ouch, I'm in trouble. And it turned out later, I didn't go to the doctor for weeks because I didn't get it. Turned out I had plantar fasciitis. I'd really jacked up my foot. But that day, I made it back to the, the house, showered, and went over to the festival site hours early because I couldn't put any pressure on a foot at all. I was like hobbling. So I'm like, let me get there because maybe there's a little doctor on site or let me get ice it. And let me do what, what they paid me to, to come and do. And so I get there early and lots of bands. There's a Christian festival. It's a group named Cutlass. Some of you know them. A lot of them live here in the Portland area. I'd worked with them for years and they were playing right after I'm speaking. But they get there early for a sound check and they say hello. They go do their sound check. And I'm in the green room behind the stage and they come back like, hey man, you're still here? I'm like, yeah, I hurt my foot. Oh, what happened? I don't know. And I got it on ice and like, well, can we pray for you? I thought that was nice. So we prayed for a little bit Then they sat down and we didn't intend on having a long conversation. They wouldn't go back to the hotel, get freshened up and play. But we ended up speaking for three hours in this green room. And it turns out that where they were in the stage of their band, their life, I've known uh, John Micah and some of the other guys for a while. They were like, hey, can we ask you? And they started just sharing, honestly, what was going on. And I'm like, wow, that is so crazy. Because about a year, year and a half ago, even though I'm not a musician, some of the same things they were struggling with, I was struggling with. Some of the same decisions I was making, they were now having to make. And so I did not want my foot to be hurt. Let me be very clear. I didn't ask God when I woke up in the morning, Lord, set up an opportunity for me to jack up my foot so I could talk to my friends. No, but I did learn something that God, even in the middle of a painful or a why me situation, can take an ugly thing and he can turn it around for the good. And I thank God that he gave me this opportunity. I would not have been there early if I had not hurt my foot. But God in his goodness flipped it around. Now, why do I say that? We're about to look at one of the darkest episodes in Paul's life. Uh, If you remember from last week, if you were here, God was stirring him. He planted these churches. Now, God says, go to Jerusalem. So he goes to Jerusalem in obedience. And what's going to happen is the unexpected. All sorts of negative things are going to happen to him. But life is sometimes like that. Would you agree? You have one thing going on that's horrible, but at the same time, you could look at some good thing that came out of it. And that's what we're going to see this morning. And just like physical training has ups and downs, you have, if you're training for anything, you have a few good days followed by weeks of torture, you know? Life can have those cycles. A few moments 
So, so you may be here this morning and some of you are just high and happy and like giddy about the world and the future and the year. And that's great. That's some of you. Some of you are like, Lord, why me? And why this? And why now? Now, most of us aren't on either extreme. We're like more like a mixed bag in the middle. God, I thank you for this, but can you get rid of that? And no matter where we are, I think we're going to see in Paul's encounter something that will help us to work through the difficult trials and troubles that we're all going to face. So normally we look at a small passage, we read it, and then we kind of dissect it. Instead, today we're going to look at chapters 21 through 23, and I'm going to keep jumping. So if you have your Bible or you have your app, let's just start before 21. Let's look at actually Acts 20 to recap last week. Why did Paul go to Jerusalem? Acts 20, 22. Let's just review, and then we'll jump down and continue. It says, and now, compelled by the Holy Spirit, I, Paul speaking, says, am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. So we do know that Paul is compelled by the Spirit. We looked last week and we said compelled, you could say arrested, restrained, handcuffed. He was so sure that God was saying, go to Jerusalem. Why? Finish the race. Why? Proclaim the good news. He wants to tell people about Jesus in Jerusalem. But look at what happens on the way. Acts 21, verse 4. Again, I'm skipping some, but stay along. He says, as he's traveling, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. So he's traveling, he finds some believers. Through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. Jump down to verse 10. After we had been there a number of days, so they go to another town, a prophet, so a spokesman for God named Agabus, came down from Judea, coming over to us. He, this is really weird. He took Paul's belt. Yeah, that's just strange. Like, hey, can I have your belt? Right. So now, prophets, what they did was they visualized what God was saying. So it's kind of like we have screens. They didn't, so they used visualization. So he takes Paul's belt. Great. What does he do? Um, with the belt. He says he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, he's speaking for God, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind uh, the owner of this belt, aka Paul, and hand him over to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. Now, when they heard this, verse 12, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. So we, Luke is the writer, Luke is traveling with them. And I just want us to see this progression. Because if you've ever been unclear, like, what do I do next? Where do I go in this relationship? I've got multiple paths. I'm in school. I could go this direction, that direction. Um, I'm in my career, but I have an opportunity, another firm or another job within my current company. And we we, we assess. We say, God, what do you want me to do? Look at Paul's scenario. Chapter 20. Compelled by the Spirit. God says go. But the people on the way, verse 4 of 21, they're saying by the Spirit, don't go. And to make it weirder, the prophet Agabus, 
He comes, shows us visualization, your belt, hands and feet, symbols of being imprisoned, incarcerated. Whoever owns this belt, that's going to happen to them. So the people say, including Luke, we said, please don't go. Now, what do we get out of this? A couple of things, four things I want us to see this morning to help navigate because we're all face trouble. We all face trials, different sizes, but it's going to happen. It will happen. How do we walk through with wisdom and joy? First thing, write it down. God prepared, prepares us now for the trouble ahead. I just want us to see Acts twenty twenty one reminds us, Paul feels compelled by the Spirit to go. And guess what? God prepares him. The group in one city say, Paul, trouble coming. Agabus, Paul, arrest is coming. That wasn't new news, but it was helpful actually to be prepared. Now, sometimes trouble comes quickly. You go to the doctors for regular appointment. They notice a little growth. We need to check that out. Next thing you know, you get a phone call that says you have skin cancer. That's happened to two families that I know of in our community in the last year and a half. Or you get a phone call and you're like, you need to come home because some terrible things have happened. You find out a family member died in a car accident. That happened to a family in our community in the last year. There are times that trouble just gives you no warning and it comes quickly. And that, that is a reality of life. But most often it doesn't happen that fast. You just get a sense. You're talking with your friend and it doesn't seem like there's tension, but your gut says there's something that I'm not hearing or they're not sharing. You're at your job, and they haven't say, said that there's layoffs, but you just see the signs. Why wasn't I included in that meeting? In life, there are all sorts of indicators. And frankly, when we see those things happen, let's just remind ourselves that God is preparing us for what is ahead. Now look at verse 11, because how do I interpret what's happening? Sometimes we get confused and we misinterpret it. Look at verse 11 of chapter 21. Uh, coming over to us, uh, Agabus takes Paul's belt with his own hands and feet. He will be bound. And the Holy Spirit says, look at what the Spirit says. In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner. Now, how do we navigate? Because out of that, everyone says, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Do you notice the potential contradiction? Spirit saying, go to Paul. But everyone else is saying, don't go. Who's right? And it's not just opinion, because Luke clearly says, the Spirit said. And moved by the Spirit. So who is right? Can I just suggest this to you? And this is going to be super helpful as you navigate the will of God for your life. There is what God actually says. Then there's what we think that means. Those are two different things. We need to remember that God is always communicating, but there's a difference between what he says and how I interpret that. And some of us, we get discouraged because we've misinterpreted or misunderstood what God was saying in the first place. Now, don't feel bad about this. It's just how to grow as a follower of Jesus. God says, to, to, by the Spirit to Paul, go. Everyone else says, avoid it. Who is Right. Now, as we look at what, what verses 11 and 12 say, I think we see the principle at play. So Agabus says, the person whose belt owner is this is going to be handcuffed, hands and feet. Verse 12, when they heard this, 
we and the people pleaded with Paul not to go up. Let me just ask you, did it say, did Agabus say by the spirit, Paul, you should not go to Jerusalem? Is that what it said? No, absolutely not. It just said, hey, the person who has his belt is going to be handcuffed. They're going to be tied up. Somehow in the middle of this, God clearly spoke through Agabus, but their interpretation, hear this, was wrong. They interpreted it to mean, because trouble is coming, you shouldn't go. Now, how many of you want to avoid trouble? Me, right? So some of us think like, all right, hardship's coming. So if hardship's coming, God is saying, avoid it. What if class were like that? Like you really want to pursue that career, but it requires three or four hard classes. Oh, those classes would be hard. Just change careers. Right? We sometimes hear one thing, but we interpret it in a way that isn't appropriate to what God might be saying. Now, how do we navigate this? Can I suggest this? If you want to know what to do, what's the application? Ask God for discernment. Ask God for discernment. Here's why. Look at verse 13 of Acts 21. How does Paul respond to their claim, you shouldn't go? Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When we, uh, when we, he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So I want us to catch this. Paul feels compelled to go. The other believers in two cities say you shouldn't go, but Paul uses discernment. God can convinces him that what they are saying, these are Christians, these are loving people, these are people that have Paul's best interest in mind, sometimes they're wrong. So we need to ask God for discernment. Not every opinion from a follower of Jesus is in alignment with what God's saying for your life. And that's okay. And sometimes you and I will give an opinion about what God's doing in someone else's life and we'll be slightly off. We see it in the text. This group, Both of them misinterpret what God is saying. So now how do I navigate? Sometimes we're not going to know why. God's not going to give us that information. Other times what happens to us is because of sin. It's sin in your own life or sin in someone else's life. And what's happening to you is a consequence. The wages of sin lead to death. So sometimes because of choices someone else made or you made, you're in a tight spot right now. And that's the natural consequence. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. Those who sow to the spirit will reap life. Those who sow to the flesh will reap destruction. Sometimes there's cause and effect. Not always. So sometimes it's a mystery. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's Satan, the enemy in the life of Jesus. You see it in Luke 4 and Mark 4. Satan himself comes to try to distract Jesus. Sometimes that tough spot is from the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy But then other times, and this is the real confusing, it's from God. When we read Acts 21 through 23, you read it and form your own opinion. As I've read it, it seems very clear to me this is God at work. Paul's tough spot is designed by God. It doesn't always happen that way, but it does. And so as we see the story unfold in a few minutes, we're going to come to that conclusion together. So how do I live this out? Can I just say to you, this is why community life will save you from all sorts of heartache. If you have chosen the path of following Jesus, you, your Bible, or just you and your spouse, or 
just you, um, you're going to hit a tough spot because there are going to be times when you can interpret what's happening to you many ways. And what you need and what I need in my life are people who can hear from the Spirit, who have wisdom, discernment, that together we can come to a decision and some clarity. We need one another. We're inviting you, come to basics, as Kenny was saying, and you'll hear about how we do community life. And we live this out at every level of this church. There is not one place where one man or one woman makes the final decision. Because God speaks to us, not just to you. And so at the elder level, our church is led by a team of seven elders. And Steve's here in the front. He's one of them. And he can attest. We plan. We strategize. We think. And we pray. And we try to discern what is God doing about this family, about this area, about the church as a whole. And we're continually praying, thinking, running things down. We're disagreeing. We should do this. No, we should do that. We should go quick. We should go slow. We should step out in faith. We should wait for the money to come. All of those things, right, wrong, it's hard to discern. But what we do is we talk about it and we pray and we wait and we flex and we hit that moment where together we're like, this is it. This is what we need to do. And then we step out in faith and trust Jesus. So I am a fairly nice guy, fairly, fairly nice guy. Can I just say this? Honestly, I don't trust myself. I don't trust me. You shouldn't trust me. Now, I'm not evil, but I'm off. The only problem is I can't tell you when what I'm saying is on or off when it comes to interpreting what God's doing in your world. Now, the scriptures are clear. I can say what this says, but when you're given three choices and they all seem good, I don't trust me alone. So we need each other because there's wisdom in the council of Many. Together we stay on course. We do this as a church, and I encourage you, if you're new to following Jesus or you're thinking about it, whatever you do, hug the Bible. Read the scriptures voraciously as if this were the very word of God to you, and it is. And hug some other Christians. Find some brothers and sisters, more mature, newer to the faith, a mixed bag is a good thing, and learn to walk with God together. It will keep you from all sorts of heartache. Well, Paul's got his crew and he finally tells them, we're going. Well, what happens when they go? Jump down to verse 27. Verse 20 says this, 27. When the seven days were nearly over, so they're making their way to Jerusalem and they've made it. Some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. So he's in the heart of the city. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. It was illegal in the inner courts of the Jewish temple to bring anyone who was not a Jew. So they see Paul and they grab everyone and say, shut the doors. We need to arrest this man He's against God, against us, against our temple, and he's defiled it. He's brought uh, illegally a non-Jew into the place where God dwells. Now, we can't get into all the details. I hope that you read it. If not, go home. I clocked it. It will take you 10 minutes or less to read these three chapters. But when you fill in the details of the story, Paul has done nothing wrong, but God's going to use it. Principle number two. So the first principle we see is... That God prepares us for trouble ahead. Second thing, trouble can be turned into opportunity. So he's arrested. They start to beat on him something fierce. But look at what happens. Jump down to verse 
um, 32. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So Paul is in the middle of a literal riot. They're beating him up. And verse 33, the commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Two chains. See what happened? The very thing that God said through Agabus came to pass. Now here's the irony. Catch this. Don't lose this. The people who heard Agabus say from the spirit, this person's going to be bound hand and feet, are saying, don't go. When God is the one who's saying it's about to happen. Did you notice that? In trying to help, they weren't being that helpful. And God's word ends up coming true. Paul is bound by two chains. And then he asked who he was and what he had done. Verse 34. Some of the crowd shouted one thing, some shouted another. Since the commander couldn't get to the bottom of the truth because of the uproar, he ordered Paul be taken into the barracks. So he protects Paul. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried out by the soldiers. And the crowds that followed him kept shouting, get rid of him. Verse 37, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? So Paul's always looking for an opportunity. So in the middle of a riot, he's like, hey guys, can we chat? Which is weird. He says, do you, do you speak Greek? He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? I love it. Don't even know who he is. Like, aren't you that Egyptian weirdo dude, you know, who started a riot? He's like, no, 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 no. Paul answered verse 39. I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Verse 40 is key. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. and, And when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. Now all of chapter two, is his defense. He explains his life, where he came from, where Jesus fits, what Jesus had done, and what Jesus wants to do. We can't read it all, but I want us to catch this. Trouble can be changed into an opportunity. So when, when God said to, by the Spirit, Paul, go to Jerusalem, did he think he would be arrested and be in the middle of a riot? No, he didn't. But, but his eyes are open. Can I just say to you, sometimes in your life, You may be asking, God, why is this happening to me? Why this trouble? How can you get me out of it? What would it look like if you and I had eyes open, say, God, what can you do through this? God, what can you show other people about how great you are, even through my own suffering? See, Paul had his eyes upward. God, all right, what are you not just doing to me? What are you doing in terms of letting people know about the love of Jesus? So Paul flips it. Ordinarily, Paul would have had no authority in Jerusalem to speak to a crowd of people. He was seen as a rebel. He was seen as an outsider and an enemy. But look what God does. Because of the riot, the crowd is there. God uses the Roman soldiers to hush the crowd. They have their spears. They have their swords. They have their authority. And they shut up the crowd. And Paul gets to speak to the whole group of people. This is the way God works. You see, he wants to transform our trouble into an opportunity. And can I just suggest to you that that trouble, it may be from Satan. It may be from your own foolishness or someone else's. It could be a mystery. It could be the very work of God, irrelevant. No matter why you got into it, can you just change your perspective and consider that God 
can give you an opportunity to speak or demonstrate the love of Jesus in some way. Now, do you, do you want to hurt your foot on a run in Napa Valley? No, I didn't want to get hurt. But God even used the painful situation so that I would be in the right place at the right time to speak to the right group of people. And I've kept in touch with them. And a lot of the stuff that was happening, I now see how God used that little conversation to change the direction of where they were headed next as a band. Now, I'm not here to hype me. I'm here to simply say God can use anybody anywhere who, if you look in the middle of your pain and look for the opportunity, God will show you how he can use it. So I wonder what it would look like if we stopped complaining and stopped moaning and stopped wondering and instead started asking, God, I don't like this. I don't think Paul liked getting beat up. I don't think he liked prison. But how can you use this? Well, he's arrested. And most of verse uh, chapter 22 is about what he says. Now, I have to skip ahead, jump to the end of chapter 22, because I want us to see our next idea of how we navigate our own trouble. And we see it in the life of Paul. End of 22, verse 30. Uh, The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. And Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, you spazzes. The Sanhedrin. So you want to talk about irony. The Sanhedrin are the top ruling leaders, say the president, prime minister, and the parliament. The top leaders in Jewish authority. They're trying to kill Paul by a riot. The Romans come in, save Paul. Paul speaks to the crowd. That's an opportunity. Secondly, they put him in prison. The next day, The Romans get the top leaders and say, you come here and we're protecting Paul. Now, Paul, explain yourself. And look at what Paul does at the beginning of chapter 23. He looks straight at them and says, I hate you. No. What does he say? My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. Now, they end up slapping him around literally and it doesn't go well But Paul would have had no other natural opportunity to get in front of the elite of Jewish leadership to explain the love of Jesus. But God used prison to get Paul in the right place. And so when I think of my life, I think straight, narrow, easy road, right? Because I want the good life. Maybe you don't. You seem like you love and enjoy heartache. And trouble. No, no. We want the life where like glory to glory, greater and, and less conflict. But God has a mysterious way of showing us how great he is. He lets us go through trouble. And in the trouble, he surprises us with all sorts of opportunities. So that struggle and that heartache, yeah, it stinks. Yeah, it could be demonic. Yeah, it's evil. And we want to pray against it. But at the same time, while I'm praying and waiting, I want to keep an open eye to what God may be doing. So what's the application? If trouble can be turned into an opportunity, the application is simple. Never, ever, 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 ever give up. Don't give up. Don't give up on God. I think sometimes we just think that God's fickle. You know, like, and, you know, today it's, it's like Sunday, it's raining. The hawks are playing. He's not sure what's going to happen. And he's all confused. And so he's forgotten about us, right? I think that God is the one who's consistent and we're the ones who are fickle. So don't give up on God when you don't understand him. Don't give up on prayer. 
God has said, ask and seek and knock and it will be given to you. Now, he doesn't say it'll it'll be given to you in 30 seconds. He didn't say it'll be given to you in the easy road. And he didn't say you'll like what he says, right? But if you ask, you will receive in time. And don't give up on the church. My wife and I, we've been a part of lots of small groups throughout the years. And here's what usually happens. And maybe it's happened to you. This isn't a slam. This is a word of encouragement. And actually a word of hope. So often when a couple or a person gets in trouble, whether it's their own sin or addiction or issue or heartache, or maybe the past comes back and and they fall into a negative cycle, so often they leave the group. They stop coming. Or stop coming often or stop participating. And in their troubled time, a person in need shrinks back instead of stepping in. And that's natural. Look, you don't, want to, you don't want people to read your mail. You're embarrassed. You, you, you don't want to be the person, oh, let's pray for them. We all want to feel self-sufficient. Can I just say to you, that's the exact opposite of how to live with discernment. To live with discernment says, I'm in a weak spot. I need some people to lift me up, right? I'm in a hard place. I actually need someone to prop up this arm and this arm because I'm, I'm finding it tough to keep my head up and to keep my feet straight. And wh- what I want to say to you is that Paul had his group. It's not just him. It's Luke. It's Timothy. It's some of his other leaders. And when they're in trouble, it's not just Paul in trouble. He's got his people that are with him. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on your group. Don't give up on friends, even when they're disappointing. Because I'm old enough to say this. They may be disappointing you right now. My friend, if you live long enough, you're going to disappoint someone later. And so rather than pointing the finger and say, I would, I would love to be a part of a group, but that group's hypocritical. Friend, let me see you in five years and you may be saying the same thing about yourself. So let's humble ourselves in the sight of God. And what does the scripture say? He will lift us up in due season. So trouble can be turned into opportunity. Third thing, is I think the most encouraging. God gives an encouraging word at the right time. So Paul's at his low. But God gives an encouraging word. He's spoken to the crowd and survived. He's spoken to the Jewish leaders. And interestingly enough, he survived, but he's back in jail. And if you're Paul and living this out in real time, he's in the cell and he knows the Sanhedrin, they're in cahoots with the Romans to keep peace in Jerusalem. So the Romans, in a sense, are kind of paying off the Sanhedrin to keep the peace and keep everyone in line. You're in prison. You can't defend yourself. You know that these very intelligent leaders are talking to the Roman soldiers, and the next time they come to your cell, your head could be cut off. You know that justice is not always just, right? So Paul is in his prison cell, verse 11 of chapter 23. This is so good. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul. Just catch that. This is good. Now it's poetic language. God didn't take on feet and freak Paul out in this particular case. In other cases in scripture, he has. But he stood near Paul. So God's presence was felt by Paul in prison. And this is just encouraging. Just because you're in a tight spot, just because life is messed up, just because you're not where you want to be does not mean that God has left you. God's there with you. And he may surprise you at the least likely time. So the Lord is with him at night and Paul says, and he says to Paul, take courage, 
Be bold and courageous. Stand firm is another way of putting it. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. So God shows up with the most encouraging word at the right time. And so often that is the case. It's when you're at the end of your rope that God in the final, 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 final moment seems to step in. That's why we never give up. I was in uh, Scotland in October and I was preaching for a week in Scotland and a week in Estonia. And I spoke here on all day Sunday and then flew out Monday and Tuesday. You land in Tuesday night and speak all day, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and into Sunday, 14 events in four and a half days. And it's the final event, Sunday night. I am tired. I want a nap. Like, you know, because the next morning I got to get up at five in the morning, get on a flight, go to Estonia and do the same thing. And so I am walking into this final church for this final meeting, really tired and kind of like in my mind, get it done and strong, go home and sleep. Like, you know, and so a group is in the back of the church. They're like, hey, can you join us? We'd like to pray before we start. I'm like, what am I going to say? You know, like, no, I already prayed on the way. Leave me alone. I, what, what, do you, what do you say? Like, sure. So my, my head is kind of there, but I'm just tired. So I go into the room and, and then they, they just all surround me and put their hands on me. Got a nicely pressed shirt, my last one. And I, in my, I'm being honest, in my brain, I'm like, they're just jacking up my shirt. Like, you know, they're just, they're just all over. I'm like, well, here we go. And then this one guy, David, he starts prophesying about our church that he's never been to and knows nothing about. And about my life and about things that God wants to do. And in that moment, I know it's spot on. Like, he's just saying things like, I, how would you know that if, if it weren't God? And so I, like, this is my response. You have your own. I just start bawling like a baby. Because I realize my headspace is off. I'm really tired. I'm susceptible to my own weariness. And God comes through David and this little prayer team to get my attention and say, I'm here. Like, AKA, Jose, wake up. Like, I'm here. I want to do stuff with this group of people. And I didn't expect it. And it was, it was so cool. So I, I, you ever cry? Like there's two ways of crying. Sometimes you cry and it's just a slow drip. Like you feel it coming. It's just right on the tip. And you feel like it's not going to come out there. Boop, and it just goes right down the, the cheek. And it just, it just hugs and it goes down the neck. And it just hugs. But there are other times where you cry and it skips the cheek and hits the floor. Is that ever happened to you? You know, and this was one of those like, I was so enamored by how God could speak that it just like, I just was going straight down. And I, I finally composed myself. I'm like, God, thank you. I needed to be reminded that you're doing something at home while I'm not there. And you're doing something in my future that I need to be aware of. Oh, it's so good. Now, God doesn't speak all the time that way, and he doesn't speak to everyone that way, and that isn't the point. The point is God comes to us at night. It's usually in the final moment. It's usually when we're at our biggest low. And so I want to speak a word of encouragement to you. God may want to communicate his love, his mercy, his fatherhood, his discipline, whatever it is. He may want to do that right now. Like not even when you get home. Right now in this gathering, he may want to capture your attention and speak to your situation. I just wonder, will you be open to it? 
Will you be open if even as we transition towards worship and we invite you to listen? Are you even open to God communicating his love, his encouragement towards you? I, I hope you are. Now, here's the cool part about this. We're not going to read the rest of the story, but Paul goes from a nobody. Are you that Egyptian who started the revolt and, and led these people? When Paul leaves the city, they send him out with 200 protective soldiers and horsemen because they find out about a riot that's going to take place. Some guys commit in a moment. They, sit, they take up a pledge. We're not going to eat until we kill Paul, these Jewish leaders. We're so against him. They're like, we're going to plot. We're going to take him out. Paul goes into nobody. He leaves with an entourage. Isn't that amazing? He would have never imagined it. Now he's still a prisoner. But God is going to use those chains and send him towards Rome. What does that mean for us? Write this down. It's kind of a summary. We could have done this whole message in one phrase. Your setback can be a setup. Your setback right now can be a setup to what God is about to do. So don't misinterpret or be flighty about how you interpret your circumstance. Take a step back. Grab your people. Don't just do this alone. Get some people who love Jesus around you and say, this is what I'm going through. This is what I think God is saying. This is what I think God is asking of me. But pray with me. Read the scriptures with me. Dig in with me. I want to know for sure. Am I on in my understanding of God's ways or am I off? For Paul, God provides an escape. The rest of chapter 3 is God providing a very clear escape. Why? Because God has something for him in Rome. And so he whispers this word of encouragement when he's in prison. Paul, you're going to testify me about me in Rome, a.k.a. I'm not done. I'm not done. And I think, as I've been praying this week, that, that God wanted me to remind you, and I would be wrong to slip over this and go past it. God wanted me to remind you through the scriptures and what happened in Paul, that he's not done with you. It's not over. He's not finished. There's more to your story. So settle in and listen. And when God tells you to speak, speak. When God tells you to go with the 200 soldiers, get out of Dodge. <laughs> Leave. Go with God's presence. Now, how long your trial is going to last? I have no idea. Are you going to come out in the end unscathed? Paul's eventually going to get to Rome but looking ahead, because we know the story of Acts, Paul doesn't leave Rome. So there is an end to Paul's life. There is an end to his mission. He does die for his faith. Church history tells us Acts leaves it hanging. But church history tells us one day he does give his life for the cause and for the faith in Jesus. But God is not done with him yet. And so can I say to you, God's not done with you yet. So what is it that you need to hear in order to respond to God's voice? I think it's as simple as this. Let's call on Jesus together. That's what you see with Paul. He's listening to the Spirit while in Ephesus. He's listening to the Spirit while he's going towards Jerusalem. He hears the voices of others in town after town. And he says with resolution, no, I'm called to go. I'm going to Jerusalem. And he hears from God in the prison. And he sees God at work as he leaves Jerusalem with a Roman entourage protecting him. You see, you call on Jesus moment by moment, moment by moment. All right, so we're 17 days into the year, give or take. Today's 17th. I think I just made it up. Is it? Oh, killer. 
It's nice to be right. Um, how are you doing? Let's just do a test. January, middle of the month, beginning of the year. In the last 17 days, when you think about all that you're going through, have you, and this is the part that you can, you can play and I can play, have you called on God concerning those circumstances? Or have you just been lazy? Or distracted? Unconcerned? That's not a word of condemnation. It's a word of encouragement. Now that we've seen God work through Paul, maybe we can up our game, right? Of calling on God moment by moment, day by day, not as a guilt trip. If you need to, put a reminder in your phone. Put reminders. You know, you can actually put reminders that remind you. They pop up. What would it look like if three times a day you just said, God, okay, a morning, a midday, an evening. I'm going to put a reminder. I use an app called Echo. It's free. You, you can download it and you can set reminders. You can put in a prayer request and you can put a time of day and a reminder and on your phone, it will show up as a notification. Pray for such and such. And you know what? I'm doing it every day and I'm finding it's actually helpful to have a device remind me because I forget to pray. Whatever it takes, not a word of you got to, it's a word of you get to. In Jesus' name, could this be a year marked by us pursuing God's presence and hearing his voice. So we want to invite you to call on Jesus together. I'm going to even invite you now um, as part of our application. Take your Bible, put it to the side for a second, and, and let's continue what, what Brandon invited us to do this early in our gathering this morning. He, he said, let's just take a moment, open our hands, and, and, and put ourselves in a posture to listen. Opening your hands, it's not magic. It's not hocus pocus. But I tell you, this says... No. When your team scores, goal, touchdown, basket, whatever, what's the first natural reaction? You know, like your hand goes, why is it? Like, yeah, you did nothing. You're not even there. You're eating potato chips. And, but you, your body language speaks about what's going on in your heart. So, can I invite you? Let's let our body language, let's force our body language to be in alignment with, with where our heart really is. Our heart wants to know God. Our heart wants to hear from God. And let's just, I invite you, even now, let's just do, and let, we did it before, let's just do it again. Maybe this time we'll really press in and invite the Holy Spirit to give you the, the next step. The word of encouragement, the reminder. It could be a verse. For me, it's almost always a verse in the Bible that resonates to my situation in ways that just make no sense. A verse will come to me and I'm like, that's for me. And maybe, maybe God will do that this morning. Maybe he'll remind you of a person that you need to reach out to. Maybe he'll remind you of a habit that you need to consider. It's not healthy. And he'll remind you of that thing. And I actually think that's, <laughs> this is funny. I think that's from the spirit. There's some habits that you're engaged in and you know it, and maybe some other people know it. And can I just remind you by the Holy Spirit, stop. You actually can. You take that step and commit that to the Lord Jesus. You tell some other Christians about the struggle, and God will see you through. Now, I don't know what that's about, and I don't know who, that, who that's for, but it's for more than one person. That's the Spirit reminding you He knows you, and even in the prison, He can stand by you and speak a word of hope.